First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11 through 13. We, uh, we, we covered 11 last we week. Got, yeah, we covered 11. But I'm sure we'll recap. So let's do that now. Let's recap. What did we talk about last week? Because I actually don't remember. I mean, so last week was kind of where Paul pivoted from talking about, you know, all the traps that people fall into, you know, especially as a result of pursuing worldly possessions. And then he pivots and says, but you, man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And then we discussed the implications of all of those things. All right, well, let's read it. 11 through 13. Beck, can you read those for us? 11 through 13? Yeah. Okay. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you. And 14, it keeps going. Ah, I charge you to keep this commandment without spot or blame until the the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it continues. Go 15, one more. All right. 16, actually. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jonah. Go through 16? Right. All right. Which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. All right. What does it mean to fight the good fight of faith? What is Paul talking about? You know, I suspect there's some sort of cultural illusion here. You know, in other instances, Paul refers to the Christian life as like running a race. Right. And, you know, for the Greeks that had a very particular implication, you know, because it was like the proto-Olympics, right? Where the, and I'm not that well versed in the, the cultural implications of it, but, you know, these people would you know, go out and they'd run these long races and they'd, you know, almost be dead at the end of it. They'd get, you know, the winner would get, you know, a laurel wreath and he'd get, you know, paraded around town for, couple of days and there's a whole bunch of honor affiliated with winning the race i don't know if when paul's talking about fighting the good fight if he's referring to some sort of similar contest when i think of fight yeah i think there were a lot of contests with a lot of heavy competition sometimes even to the death right but i also think of um the spiritual warfare going on and i think of like the putting on the armor of God. I mean, these people were probably inundated with military visuals all, you know, all the way around them. Their experiences, probably a very heavy part of life for them. 
Yeah, I think I was thinking along the same path as uh, Tammy, just in terms of um, like this path of like being a Christian, I guess you could say, or um, but choosing to to serve God and follow Him and um, is it's not promised to be an easy one by any means. There's there's going to be trials and and there is going to be be suffering at times. So I take it as kind of that adding on to like um, steadfastness or endurance and just like kind of like stand firm and keep keep going. So Paul uses this same phrase in reference to himself in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 where he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Yeah. Paul there knows he's at the end of his, he's, he's going to be executed actually pretty soon. Yeah, I think he's well aware. Um, he's in prison under Nero and things aren't going to go. And actually he's, he's, I was reading about that this morning. Um, I'm reading just the, the history of Christianity and how the early martyrs, once, once they, they would always try to um, run um, and Paul and Jesus even even do this. They would actually run away from, they would hide and run away as long as they could until they were sure that, that it was God's will that it was it was time for them to be martyred. And um, I think Paul's at this point, and, and he even talks about this. Um, I'm forgetting where, but people are crying over him. And he's like, why are you crying? You're, you're making it far more difficult for me. Um, like, just accept... I've accepted my fate. You accept my fate too, you know. Like I, I'm, I'm here at this point um, in my life, and I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Like I can do this for the Lord. I think, I think how we die, um, not just that we die for the Lord, but, but how we do that, I think, is actually pretty crucial. Um, it shows where we, where we value life and where it's most important. And uh, I was actually reading as well this morning just about other martyrs that would actually, um, they would go, they would spontaneously volunteer to be martyred, and then they would run away really quick. And then they would, they would, they would slide out of it. It was only those that had like persisted in the faith and been confident and then were just kind of moved in that direction that actually could faithfully um, go to the death. Anyway, um, I translated this. Um, as it, it, the, the words actually say, um, this, the first term fight there, um, it says you yourselves struggle, um, the beautiful, the beautiful contest or the beautiful fight or, or struggle, the good struggle, the beautiful struggle. Anyway, it's just the idea that, um, Sometimes when we use the word fight, there's con there's a connotation that goes along with it because of the country that we live in sometimes, I think, um, as in it's some sort of war to be had or physical fight, right? And if you keep on reading past that, um, that's, that's not the implications you get, especially when he's talking about the Lord, right? So in the concordance, it says to struggle literally, to compete for prize, or figuratively, to contend with an adversary. 
or generally to endeavor to accomplish something. The fight, a labor, a fervent strife. Yeah. So what does that look like, uh, you all? What does that actually look like in our, what is Paul asking him to do really when he's saying fight the good fight? What's it look like in your life, Yeah. Lots of tears. Usually. Good tears or bad tears? <laughs> Very frustrated tears. That's how Lauren fights. She breaks up down crying. <laughs> That's how I fight. That is how I fight. I do. I go to God and I and I cry to him. And I'm not ashamed. <laughs> how she gets out of tickets, too. Nope. I've never <laughs> cried. Never cried when a cop pulled me over. I have, but then they just wanted to. <laughs> how I used to study for my listening exams and music. <laughs> what was it last week or the week before where we were talking about perseverance? Hmm. Last week, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. maybe both. I mean, with, you know, with all of these ideas that Paul's presenting, you know, he talk, talks about a race and the Greek there for fight, the good fight could be translated as, you know, it, 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 it's used in the context of like a, a, a contest, you know, an official contest that's set up. And with all of those things, you know, there's, there's this idea of perseverance, but also of preparation involved. Yeah. Too. Yeah. You don't, you don't just start with running a marathon, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, so, this, this always leads to, to, in my mind, it's like picking, picking up your cross right? Um, obviously, you've got to have endurance, you have to have the stamina, you definitely need the Holy Spirit. And you're, I mean, you're carrying forth the good message. Not everybody wants to hear it, unfortunately. Right. So you dust yourself off and you keep on going. So I, I guess my, just going back to the question, just what does that look like? Okay, so Lauren said tears. Like, what is that? What is Paul getting at that would in, impact our lives? We understand it's maybe a race or this, this type of thing. And he says, um, the endurance and gentleness fight the good fight of, of faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief sometimes, is it? Oh. you know, where it's like, I know intellectually what I should do or what to do. Um, but there's this gap between my head and like my inside, my inner being. It's like, I don't know how to bridge that gap. And so, um, so I think that's part of it. I don't think it's all of it, but I do think that's definitely a big part of it where it's like, no, I don't have, I don't have the faith right now. Yeah. But I know I, I could, or I know I should, or I know God's faithful. So what's how, like, what am I missing type of a thing? So I think being willing to engage those, like engage the doubts, engage the, uh, um, engage the failure, I suppose. I think that's actually a really big part of fighting the good fight. 
Yeah, you're saying that that things that um, some people think are unfaithful or or people things that we try to get away from in our faith sometimes are actually the thing that um, that help it the most. Absolutely, yeah. If we take this idea of um, if we're running a marathon or we're we're working out or whatever we do. Um, I think, I think we, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks of breaking down muscle, right? Is actually how it becomes, you know, how muscles are broken. You know, when you work out, you know, you're tearing your muscle, the little fibers. That's what happened to Brad this morning. Not me. I don't know. Um, and Omar, especially Omar. Um, but anyway, I, I think that, that that's like the idea is that we struggle with, we, we, we kind of have your, your highs and lows, but you continually like go like upward, you know, it, hopefully you're continually growing in faith. It's not that Paul or any of the other martyrs or anything like that. We're just ready immediately for, they weren't excited about death then. They eventually got there because they saw the beautiful, the beautiful fight that, that Christ put up, right? The beautiful um, thing that he actually is, and it's worth it. Once you trust him to that point, you're just like, take, take me. It's fine. I trust you. And I love you so much that this is nothing in this world is worth it. You know, it's not worth it. And the impact that some of those stances produced, I mean, God used those horrible circumstances to spread the message far and wide. And we wouldn't be here today in some, you know, some semblance of that where they stood up for truth. I think that um, if we look just in the, in the general context, in the general context, obviously he's not talking about just, um, he's, he's saying, do this, do these things maybe with all of your energy, fight the good fight or run, run the race, right? He uh, pursue righteousness, godliness, love, faith, endurance. In other words, let the whole, the, the fruit of the spirit kind of thing, let it grow in your life and chase after them with everything that you have. Um, yeah, there's definitely some, some, as you were talking about, uh, Jonah, the endurance, but there's definitely some form of self-exertion, like put put your your whole self into this thing um, if you're going to be training for it. Another idea, you know, he he's writing this letter for the purpose, right? That there are issues in the church, and sometimes you just you just don't have the energy to deal with some stuff. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like picking and choosing your battles, prioritizing what really does need the energy and the focus. Hmm. And I, you know, since this is one of those chiastic, did I get that word right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Chiastic structure. Let's so we're, we're circling back on the topic here. So I think it's, you know, it can be overwhelming probably for a younger person who's a leader to try to deal with these very weighted, very serious topics and um, you know it is definitely a mentor's encouragement to say no stick to it stick to your guns stick to the truth this is worth you know putting the time and energy into
So then Paul kind of transitions from fighting the good fight, uh, do these things with all you have. And then he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. Anybody know what he's talking about? Specifically for Timothy. And then, and then after that, we can get to how it relates with us. Let's think about this for a moment. There's something before in this very letter that Paul's given. There's something else that happens for Timothy or that Paul talks about happening. Yeah. Oh, I thought Brad was getting up to answer the question and he left. Okay. His dog. Yeah, to let his dog in. Uh, Apologies. That's acceptable. Anybody remember what um, Paul said happened to Timothy in particular? Um, when the elders were maybe questioning him about things or questioning his calling, what did Paul recall happened to Timothy? Does anybody remember? It's been a while. Are you referring to verse 14 of chapter 4? Where is I don't know. Why don't you yeah, why don't you tell us and we'll tell you? <laughs> um oh yeah. So Paul says, Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the ministry or the presbytery, the elders. Yeah. So there was a gift of prophecy. He says, What does that mean to us? So what's significant about all of that for Timothy? Go, Brad. I see you leaning forward. Do it. Well, well, since I hopped in, I don't know. Yeah, four chapters in or chapter five. I've been actually, I don't remember the beginning of chapter or Timothy because I skimmed through it, but I feel like it's more. Uh, so was Timothy given the gift of prophecy or did someone just prophesize about him? Because if that's the case, then it's like there's there is a call on Timothy. Someone is like, he, he's destined. Yeah. That's it. And I believe this actually happens. Um, um, this is reiterated several times. And the first time is actually in chapter one, I do believe um, in the second half of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So chapter one, verse 18, it says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command and keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you, the battle well this is the chiastic structure coming in this is the exact same thing he said in chapter one he's saying it right again in chapter six same thing why would he say this why would he say this and why would that be important um and you were kind of getting to that brad why would that be important for timothy at this moment and tammy was talking about it too well Maybe it's related to uh, there's those moments in in doubt that could come or or discouragement or whatever it may be, but just like hold like God has placed a call on your life. He will lead you through. Um, doesn't Paul talk about um, in one of his letters about have confidence in that that he will. This is Scott Bird. 
uh, have confidence that that he will finish the good work that he has started in you. Yeah. And so, so I think like Timothy can't be reminded of this enough where it's like, especially in those lows, God will bring you through it. Like just keep fighting the good fight. Um, Amazing to know that God is on your side. Have you, have you ever had a moment of your life where you just, you just know God was with you. He was, he was moving in your life, just super strong. You had that happen. Maybe, maybe not. Okay. It, I mean, hopefully yes, at some point, maybe it was like a baptism, even if it was a baptism or whatever it was. Um, um, I love Ellen, probably one of Ellen White's most famous quotes, if not her most famous one is, is we have nothing to fear except forgetting where God has actually led us in the past. And I think that's critical. And I think this is actually kind of where Paul is actually bringing, bringing Timothy to. He's like, don't forget your calling. Like, don't forget that God has, during these difficult times, remember, remember what this was. When people laid on your hands, remember the prophecy made about you. Remember that you're God's called person to do this. He's going to make a way for you. Um, even though, during those dips and those difficult times, especially during those. And I think that that's actually how we, uh, that's actually how we defeat a lot of those doubts and stuff like that. That's why I have this little, did I show you guys this? I have this little, this little guy. Have I shown you this? Um, if you're listening on the podta- podcast, it's this little tiny book. It's probably two inches by an inch and a half. And the outside of it says, expect miracles. And um, I, it's actually my, my uh, I have a little miracle journal where I write all these down. And I try not to read them very often because when I go back and read them, I just start crying. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it's just really amazing to see um, some of the ways that God has, has led, you know. And I just encourage you all, like, like when we set up that stone, remember outside? just remembering, hey, look, this was monumental in this, in this year, hopefully, and this is something that was meaningful. And that was the point of setting up certain altars and stuff like that for the Old Testament, some of the Israelites, was that they'd come, up, they'd, they'd come across it again, and they would remember what God did for them at that particular time. This is really important that we do these things, because it's so easy to forget. It's really important. Um, it's interesting. Let's look at that word confession real quick. Oh, it means like a, like a vow that you took. Ah, okay. Yeah. In other words, like you, (laughs) he's probably also called, if it's a vow, like what also, what also is Paul calling him to remember not just what god did for him but what the contract yeah this is this is something between that you actually promised to the people here and to the lord as well and don't neglect that yeah well and that that if you look at the end of verse 12 there that kind of sets it in a little bit more of a stone in the presence of many witnesses. Um, yeah. Mm, think of all the heavenly angels. 
that we're witnessing that contract and supporting it in the mission. Anything else for you guys on, on verse 12? So this idea of laying hold, right? You know, it kind of struck me. I've been, the last few minutes, I've been trying to find a interlinear Septuagint version of Genesis 33, which is um, Jacob's struggle with God, right? And, you know, Jacob, even though, you know, <laughs> he was on the losing end of that fight, but at the same time, he, he grabbed a hold of him and he wouldn't let him go, right? He said, you know, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Yeah. And that's kind of what, you know, that idea of laying hold, right? I mean, that word can also be translated as like to seize or to grasp something. That's what that reminded me of. Hmm. Even if you feel like you're losing, don't let go. Yeah. I like that. I never really thought of that. As a, that never came to mind. I like that parallel. Do you ever think of who our witnesses are? Everybody watching us. The 10,000 people, the average person um, influences during their lifetime, something like that. Probably more with social media, you know, I don't know. You ever think, you ever think of like, <clears throat> well, yes, we honor, we honor the Lord, but like, we, we don't, we obviously don't believe that there's, you know, the, the, the apostles and the, and all the, the people of, of faith aren't floating around watching us right now. We don't believe that, but in some ways, in some ways, do you ever think about them being our, our witnesses in the sense that they died to bring us this? They died to bring us the word of, of God to, to, to preach the gospel. And not just Jesus's blood um, was spilled for this, right? Someone cleaning in the background? All right. <laughs> Just see his head with headphones. <laughs> okay. Um, that, yeah, go ahead, Rachel. That's like powerful. I never thought of it that way. Not only did Jesus die for us to live, but there's been so many other people also. Wow. I mean, you know, in, in, in a lot of respects, you know, being willing to die 
for a cause is the ultimate, you know, witness for the truth of that cause, right? At least in the mind of the person that dies. And, you know, it's hard to convince somebody, you know, more, more forcefully that you believe something than to die for it, so. It reminds me, you know, I think uh, the 1300s, you had Wycliffe and he, his movement restored the table of showbread. So every one of these martyrs brought new light back to the truth. And then you had Luther, I think that was the next, what, 1400s, 1500s. And he restored the altar of sacrifice and then you move a little later into the 1500s, you had Calvin, he restored the altar of incense. The 1600s, you had um, uh, somebody in Williams. Smith and Williams? Roger Williams. I, I, I think so. Um, they restored the labor, the truth of the labor. Um, and baptism was, you know, mentioned in there. In the 1700s, you had um, Wesley, who restored the candlestick. And then in 1844, we had the Millerite movement from all these different denominations, and they rediscovered the Ark of the Covenant. So, you know, without them, the sanctuary message would not be as fully understood today potentially um, we would you know I'm th I think God would definitely find a way to bring that about don't get me wrong but we definitely have their witness has brought us to the point of knowledge that we are currently at yeah it's interesting that um there's a there's a song that talks about um, these people of the past have kind of passed the baton and it's like, and it, it put it in a really, like, I'd never thought of that before. Um, where it's like, yeah, literally like if, if any, I mean, if any one generation would have dropped the ball on that, on this, like we would have been, we would have been cut off, but we have, we have uh, the knowledge that we have because generations have continued to pass along the information and just like and it's it's almost lit like you're literally passing along something like in a physical sense and I don't know it's just a really um profound concept I think when you uh dive into it and and that that puts a, a lot of pressure on the person taking the baton right Think, think, think about think about this. Maybe maybe pressure is the wrong word, but but it, it is. I mean, it's maybe a big responsibility. Think about when you just watched your partner run as hard as they could, mm. and at their last gasp, they're just diving to give you the baton to win this race. What do you if if you realize that's what your partner did? What are you going to do? Mm. Hopefully, you give it everything you got, right? Mm -hmm. And it would be a pretty big disgrace to them to not do that because they've given everything. And I think sometimes we miss that when we, when we look at our Christian life, we're just like, ah, we'll just kind of go through the motions or kind of like 
yeah, it's all about salvation. It's not it's about the next generation too. What, are we going to be those runners in the middle that, that carry that baton, right? They give it everything that we got because without that, we don't have what we have. Today. Is there even knowledge of salvation? I was going to say that, you know, you can't in those relay races, you can't be for yourself. It is a team event, right? So like, just like Jake's saying, yeah, you have to, rely you have a lot of responsibility and uh you can't just focus on yourself in that i think it's actually a beautiful thing to have that um well that community just like the church is the community i mean you can't necessarily do this all on your own you got to have the holy spirit that's our partner and um I love how that's built into the message. The thing that makes me think of this is um, right after the faith chapter of Hebrews 11, you know, where it talks, it goes basically down through the history of the, the faith of our father, Abraham, through Moses, through, you know, I can't even remember them all right now, but, but Enoch, you know, all of them are in there and it leads us through all the way um and then chapter 12, this is how chapter 12, speaking about those people, this is what makes me think of it, those actually being the witnesses or the martyrs that have gone before us. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, um, hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart and i just think that that actually back ups that that verse uh, pretty well yeah rachel yeah yeah definitely Wow. Very good. Yeah, so I don't, you know, maybe I feel like maybe it was misreading that word witness there in verse 12, right? Because, you know, when I was reading, it's like, oh, somebody saw him do something. Right. And I think that's part of it. But the more often the way that the word witness is used throughout the new Testament is, as somebody that's relaying, you know, events that have occurred yeah. specifically to the building up of faith. So in this particular case, when Paul's talking about the profession that Timothy has made before many witnesses, I think he might be saying rather that Timothy has witness to other people that have been gone on to witness to others. So, Ra rather than Paul referring to, oh yeah, you know, you did this thing in front of a bunch of people and therefore you're accountable for the things that you said. Rather he's saying, hey, look at, you know, look at how much this one action has gone on to influence the lives of so many others through the compounding effect of, you know, 
repeated witnessing through multiple generations, if you will, right? And, you know, so with that in mind, keep on pushing forward. Or, or maybe it's both. I mean, we know that there, you, we know that there was people there um, at the laying on of hands when, when he was given the prophecy about himself um, to lead this church, right? We know that there was people there, but we also know that there's people within history, and there's the witnesses actually afterwards that that can testify or witness back about what he has done, right? Right. Uh, huge implications here. I, I don't think we realize how important we are. If you ever feel like you're not important, just just recognize those things. It's exponential. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's not additional, right? It's yeah. when he talks about the eternal life to which you were called. It rings to mind. God calls us priests and king, kings and priests. Yeah. How influential are priests and kings? Very much so, right? And I think we often forget how we should be uh, presenting and representing and who it is we are presenting and representing makes a huge difference. This is interesting also. He says you made your, um, he says you made your good confession and somebody read verse 13 again for us. He makes another, uh, he makes a parallel. <laughs> Go on. I, Go ahead. I give you charge in the sight of God who raises to life all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Then he says, I charge you. I charge you after that. <laughs> okay. All right. That isn't intimidating. <laughs> um, should we read it? What, Jesus' witness? Yeah. We should probably read it, right? Just to know what it's talking about. 15, 16. Uh, John, this says John chapter 18. Verses oh, you're talking about the reference? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, you lost me. Sorry. Where is it at? I don't have a reference in mind that I'm John, John, Well, this one says it, it could probably be several several things that Jesus says in front of Pontius Pilate because there's a little bit of an exchange there, right? Right. Oh, okay. John, John chapter 18, uh, verse 34 through 37, or 1911. 30, 34 through 37. You want me to? I'll, you know, I'll read it. Okay. I'll read it. I got it. <laughs> I just didn't know you were inviting. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, 
My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So this brings to my mind a certain event. Okay. If you're y'all heard of the triumphal entry, have you heard of this before? Yes. A couple of you? A few of you? Okay, where Jesus asks for a donkey and he's riding on he's or a colt, depending on the, and he's riding on it, and people are are saying something and they're waving branches. What are they saying? Hosanna. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So anybody know what Hosanna means? Isn't it something like glory to the highest? It's savior, isn't it? Or something like that? Um, right. Yes. Okay. So people, um, one second. So people were, the Jews were expecting what? What were they expecting in the Messiah? King. To do, to do what? To get rid of the Romans. Yeah. To conquer the Romans. That's right. And so when they say Hosanna, it's not like you and I think of probably in the spiritual sense. That's probably not actually what most people were saying to him in the, in the moment. They're actually saying king. This is our king who's going to overthrow not only the Romans. This is super interesting. You know, um, the, so the side that Jesus enters, okay, the side of Jerusalem Jesus enters, there's another side to Jerusalem. There's two entrances on either side. The, the time of day and everything that's going on, King Herod is actually entering into the other side of Jerusalem actually at the same time. Okay? In other words, this is, this is our Savior. Okay, what would this mean? What would this mean? If Jesus is entering this side and Herod's entering this side and they're entering at the same time. Think about this for a moment. There's a conflict. There's a conflict going on there. Yeah, that's right. You remember, you remember, it's actually Herod's dad, right? Um, Herod Antipas's dad, Herod the Great, who tries to kill Jesus because he's afraid. He hears there's a king that's going to be born and overtake the throne. Okay, and he kills all the babies. Remember, this is his son who's coming in the other side the same time Jesus is. In other words. You, you can't serve two kings. You have to be at one party or the other, right? There was, there was one that was, a, that was um, it kind of, he's kind of in bed with Rome, with the Romans, you know? He does a lot of compromising um, to, for his own benefit. And the people don't really love that. They don't love Herod Antipas because, because he's done this. They see the the, the suffering that he's caused them and the treachery that he's actually done. And Jesus is actually, um, um, he's actually coming as a conquering king. That's what he would have come as. Um, and people would have seen him as a, as a huge threat. This is actually what leads him to um, 
execution rather rather quickly actually after this. That would be looked on as a coup, would it not? A coup. Or a starting of a takeover? Yeah, but how does he do it? Through love, healing. <laughs> Turns the world upside down. This is such a bizarre story. Compared to Herod and his wayward ways. If you were gonna take over a kingdom and and and, and take over uh, and be king, this is not the way you do it. Not the human way to do it. Right. That's not the yeah, way. Yeah, not the human way of doing it. Right. I mean, I, well, I mean, so it's, it's the most effective way to do it, though, right? You know, if you can gain the hearts of the people, then you effectively encounter no resistance when you take over. Right. Right. Whereas, you know, traditionally, you know, the Romans just said, hey, you know, we've got armies outside your door. You know, you guys can just kowtow. We get to appoint your leader and you guys pay some taxes to us and you can go on living your life. And we don't really care whether you like us or not. But that leads to this, you know, deep-seated resentment towards the ruling power, you know, that, you know, is obviously fairly evident towards the Romans. And it's kind of what led to the people supporting Jesus as this political figure, even though he made no attempts at being such. Well, that's interesting. I, you don't think he makes a political figure, but he, he kind of... I, I mean, so the, the, the triumphal entry is kind of the closest that he gets, right? But the implication is that he's doing this strictly as a fulfillment of prophecy. Right. Yeah, but the victorious Messiah is supposed to kill his enemies, not be killed by his enemies. That doesn't make sense to be victorious in that, right? Right. But, but, but it's to fulfill this prophecy. And not only that, just, um, man... But then again, I mean, there's there's kind of a statement in the way that he does it too, right? You know, he's not coming in on a horse, you know, with a bunch of you know with a bunch of soldiers behind him. He's riding in on <laughs> he's riding in on not not just a donkey, but a little little donkey. <laughs> Could you imagine being one of the disciples at this point? Jesus has done some next level, some really crazy stuff, right? Where you're just like, I don't know. If we should. That could be. That could be a little bit embarrassing. Yeah, isn't it? Well, I mean, so effectively, there's after one of the feedings of the five, after one of his mass feedings, right, where the people, you know, basically come after him and try and make him king right there on the spot because they see that he's a guy that can, you know, effectively, you know, manufacture food out of thin air. And Jesus resisted at that point in time. And then when he comes back and, you know, effectively declares himself to be the Messiah, you know, in this, you know, um, ex you know, explicit intentional fulfillment of messianic prophecy, he's not doing it, you know, he's fulfilling the prophecy and the people are kind of, are misreading the situation, mm. right? You know, because, you know, he, he, aside from the fact that he's riding into the city, there, there, there's nothing threatening about it, aside from the fact that the people love him for it. 
in, including the, the the disciples, and that's why they're following him. But but this is still bizarre, right? If you're going to lead a revolt, <laughs> riding maybe sideways on a on a tiny little pony is not the way to to puff out our chest and show us that we're that we're going to win this war. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would struggle. I mean, I, I would hope I would follow him, you know, in there. I think I would. But it's just like, this is so weird. Right. But again, I mean, it goes to this idea. And this is kind you know, this is relates back to what Jesus was saying to Pilate when he says, my kingdom is not yeah. of this world. Right. The way that Jesus operates is, you know, largely antithetical to the way that humans have traditionally operated. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus has a, a, a firm grasp on his purpose, right? And I think maybe maybe that's what what Paul is actually calling Timothy to remember. Remember your purpose. Remember why we're here. Remember the Lord. And even facing facing his own death, facing his own trial and execution. By the way, we all we all signed up for martyrdom when we got baptized, by the way. Well, it's unavoidable. Like this, not just the, the fact that we died and came back to Christ, but the idea that martyrdom is never off the table for us because of what we believe. It is a strange thing. And it's subversive to the rest of our culture. And when things get violent, People aren't going to understand. People don't try to understand. Either you're with us or against us. And if we're not with them, then for some reason we're against them, right? So anyway, that being said, I think Timothy and, and the early Christians probably faced this more often in Rome than it did in Ephesus. And they probably didn't have to deal with this as much uh, where he's at. But, but he's still saying, like, no, no matter what uh, you're, you're afraid of or, or even what's intimidating you, uh, keep, keep a hold of your purpose as, as Jesus did, as our, the author and perfecter of your faith did, right? And in verse, in verse 13, there's this implication of like this resonance that's going on, right? Hmm. Paul says, I give you charge in the sight of God, yeah. in the sight of Jesus, who raises all things, and Christ Jesus who bore, uh, who witnessed a Pilate, and as a result of Jesus' witnessing to Pilate, other people, you know, including Paul, have become witnesses themselves and witnessed to Timothy, who Timothy is now witnessing to other people. But Paul's giving Timothy charge in the sight of God. So God is witnessing what Timothy is doing. So there's this circular pattern that's going on, you know, implied in what's going on. And you know, there's other, and I, the, I'm failing in the exact references here, but there are places where Paul talks about, you know, the building up together in faith, right? And I think this is kind of what Paul is alluding to, where our witnessing to other people can build their faith, and then them witnessing back to us can build our faith. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's an intimidating thing in the beginning. In the sight of God, he's actually calling that God is actually a witness in all of this as well. He said, he, he saw, he gave the word 
and it, that's what prophecy is, right? Prophecy is God giving an individual something to say to other individuals. So God is actually a witness in this whole thing as well, in this process. And he's like, don't, yeah. And we know his word does not go out void or come back void, right? Yeah. And then he charges them with the same, well, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame. We'll get to that next week. That's scary to me. Is that yeah. part of the heavy responsibility you take? I think we all take that heavy responsibility, or we should, by the way. Um, without spot or blame, you know, we, we kind of, we, we like to go against perfectionism because a lot of times it breeds this type of, um, like a Pharisee, right, or, or a spiritually elite type of person. But the idea that, look, we, we love perfectly and we, and we try as hard as we can and we, we are linked to God. Humility should be in there, by the way, uh, highest, one of the highest among them. But, but this idea, like, don't be relaxed about this stuff. This is real life. This is real stuff. If there's anything to fight for, if there's anything to put your whole heart in, this is it. Yeah. There's a song, they're not Christian by any means, but um, from my, my hometown band. And um, anyway, uh, he's, he says, uh, it's all about a song about basically falls down and, and he's just like wondering if he should get back up again. Um, and then he says, I, I hear the sound of a thousand voices calling out my name to get back up and get back up again. And I, I just, not that we can actually physically hear these, these people's voices, the martyrs' voices, right? But, but it's just the idea that when we fall and we feel like not getting up and we feel like we're nothing and that we've messed up and we've let everything down, just remember them. Like, remember all of them. I know we, we, we remember the Lord, of course, but remember what they have sacrificed and don't let it go to waste. On, honor them, right? With, with even our dying breath. All right. Anything else? I'm disappointed that we don't get the answer to last week's joke. Oh! <laughs> what was last week's joke? I don't remember at this point. <laughs> I don't remember. I, Oh, it was something about he he asked who the who the best or the financier was in the Bible. Yeah, I was. Oh, too yeah. Was, what wasn't it? Be, the answer was Noah because he floated his stock while everybody else was under liquidation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he asked. But then he asked who is the best female financier. Oh, I could give that answer. Oh, let's hear it. Let's yes, perfect. Let's hear it. Okay, so does anybody know the answer besides me? Can you nope. ask the question or the joke question? <clears throat> Take it from the top. Yes, yeah. please. Well, I I only remember the answer. 
So this is the so, who is the first female financier? Who is the greatest female financier in the Bible? I believe that's what the question is. Tell us, Beck. And the response is um, Pharaoh's daughter. She drew down to the bank of the Nile and she drew out a little profit. Oh, yeah, that, that was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, very good. Nice. Very good. What? Brad, you're on mute. Oh, was it unmuted and mute again? Was it that one or was there another one related to Noah and like the animals? Yeah. That was the week before the thing. No. Yeah. What? What was the answer? The, the, the greatest financier in the Bible was Noah because he no, 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 no. But I thought he did. He did that one, the female one, and then he thought he did, he did a food one fight one, didn't he? Flying scroll, flying roll, or Beck, I, I think that uh, uh, you just need to tell Anson that hey, it's it's Bible study time, and put school to the side, and we need answers. We need. Questions. Yeah, specifically the answer to the joke. Okay. All right, I've got one. Okay. Oh, okay I have one if no one else. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Wait, we got right. double. The answer will proceed next week. Okay, here's the question. Where is the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? <laughs> no. Tennis. First tennis match mentioned in the Bible. If you want to know the answer, listen to next week's podcast. No, come on. Come on. Nope. We didn't get one today. That That is your one for today. No, no, we didn't get an answer for today. We we got Bex. No, that was last week. I've already yeah, heard that one. I've answer. already heard that one. Yeah. That was the cliffhanger. <laughs> Don't let the cliffhanger. All right. Tell us a different one, Beck. I need one. <laughs> All right. I <laughs> How do we know Peter was a rich fisherman? Fisherman could be rich. <clears throat> All I know is the straight answer. His nets broke. Close. His net worth. Close enough by his net income. Oh. <laughs> 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 okay, okay. Very good.